So good. Here we go. Fantastic. Starting a new series. Kia ora. Ni hao. Apakaba. Great to have you guys with us today. We are going to have uh, a great time over this, uh, over this month of August as we dig a whole lot deeper into the Holy Spirit. And this, uh, this new series that we're looking at uh, has a very clear purpose. Uh, we, want you to, we want you to want to know the Holy Spirit at a whole different level. And uh, we really are hoping and praying and believing that we're going to experience Him, that we're going to find uh, a much greater and deeper friendship with Him over the weeks ahead. So that will be awesome. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Let me give you a little bit of background first. I know some of us will know some of these things, and that's fantastic. It's great to go over it again, but hopefully we'll uh, gain a bit of a fresh perspective today as well. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Trinity. He is equal with God and Jesus. It's not like God the Father first place, Jesus second place, and the bronze goes to the Holy Spirit. Good attempt. Uh, no, it's not like that. They are co-equal. Uh, he is a person, but he is the spirit of Jesus, according to Romans. He is the presence of God. He is, he is what Jesus was to the disciples, to us, but in spirit form, without a body. And, of course, the huge advantage of that is that God can be present with us as Jesus was with the disciples, but for all of us everywhere. He is omnipresent. Now, the story, of, of course, of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, as we best understand it, it begins in Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring at Pentecost uh, in that upper room, which occurred 50 days, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Then after that, at, at that Passover festival, there were 40 days where Jesus was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. Then he ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And then there was a 10-day period until the next big Jewish holiday, which was Pentecost. And it was on Pentecost, uh, with the disciples gathered in the upper room, that we read in Acts 2 this astonishing story of the Spirit poured out just as Jesus said he would be. Now, today we're not going to start in Acts 2. Uh, we're going to start nearer the end of the story, in Acts chapter 19, uh, which is maybe according to commentators, roughly maybe 20 years after the uh, outpouring uh, at Pentecost um, at the start. But this is in a very important place for us to begin because we must understand biblically the priority and importance of the Holy Spirit for us today. So what we do is we, 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 in Acts chapter 19, we find um, the apostles they're still traveling out, they're planting churches, they're meeting with the disciples, uh, and the church is, is incredibly, uh, has grown incredibly since those early days, spread right across Asia Minor, it's a, an amazing thing. And let me read to you what happens when the Apostle Paul meets with some new believers, Acts 19, 1-2. While Apollos, one of the disciples, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Uh, there he found some disciples. So we, that tells us they're, they're followers of Jesus. They've, they've uh, obviously got some relationship with Jesus. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Of course, these are Gentile believers in Ephesus. They're not Jewish believers. Um, but these guys say that they've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. There is, 
there is, there's this lack, if you like, in their experience. And what's so important for us to realize is that Paul, when he first meets with disciples, his first question is, great, you believe. Okay, do you have the Holy Spirit? It's so important for us to see that for the Apostle Paul, 20 years after his own conversion experience, the first question he asked the disciples still is, do you have the Holy Spirit? You need the Holy Spirit. Come on, you believe in Jesus? Awesome. You need the Holy Spirit. That's got to give us some idea of the incredible importance the Holy Spirit should and must be for the church. But you know, there are plenty of people today, they're like, I'm not really into the Holy Spirit. Maybe they haven't really heard of the Holy Spirit. Some people are kind of okay with God the Father. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're okay with Jesus. Some people are not okay with the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe not so much in a church like Elam where we've got a Pentecostal heritage. But, you know, for many people, they've had some sort of experience. They've had some sort of experience which has put them off spiritual things. They, they can be committed churchgoers. They might be faithful for 50 years. But actually, there was a point somewhere, sometime, where someone did something weird, and they just went, I don't know what that is, but I don't want that. You see, so often the problem with the Holy Spirit is not that there's a problem with the Holy Spirit, but it's the problem the way the Holy Spirit is sometimes being presented. And that is a tragedy. See, if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, we might avoid him. We might find ourselves keeping away from anything that looks like him and in doing so, miss out on what God is actually doing in our community and in our generation through the church. And next week, I'm going to take us on a, on a really quick trip right through the whole book of Acts because we will find that the Holy Spirit is this incredible strategist who is involved in every aspect of the expansion of the church. And it's the same today. You see, God wants us to have an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. All the devil has to do is to get us to distance ourselves from the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? The church becomes stalled. The Holy Spirit and knowing him is mission critical for the church. And so we need to get to know him. We need to get to understand him. And so we're going to start by looking at his name today. And, and our goal today is that, that you, might, you might be introduced to the Holy Spirit, perhaps for some of you. Some of you, this will just reinforce what you already know. But we need to start with his name. And, and certainly we find this in biblical texts and biblical times. Names are integrally related to uh, identity, who that person is and what they will do. So let's start with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, he's called in many translations particularly King James and some of those older ones. It's a, I love that, the Holy Ghost. The only problem with that is no one really wants to be friends with a ghost, right? So it's kind of like it's a bit of a branding, bit of a branding problem. And, um, and it's helpful for us to understand that the translators actually had real trouble finding what the right English uh, description would be of what the original languages describe as the third Party. In other words, um, Spirit and Holy Spirit occur over 800 times in Scripture. So that gives us some idea of the importance of this. And so we need to do a little bit of digging to find out really who this Holy Spirit is. So for starters, in Hebrew, the word for Spirit is the word Ruach. Ruach. And if you want to say that, you've got to do a bit of a on the end there. It makes you sound like a Hebrew scholar. Just, just go with it. It's good. Make you sound impressive in small group. So the word for Spirit 
or ghost is ruach. But what's interesting is the definition of the, definition of the word is not spirit or ghost. The definition of the word is actually breath, wind, or a violent but gentle exhalation. Now, can you see what the translators are dealing with here? Ruach, what, what are we going to call them? The holy breath. Yeah, that's not going to work. That's, that's, you know, but but, but the, the idea of, of the wind of God, the breath of God, something coming from God that is God, is, is important and powerful. We see this in Genesis 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the ruach, the spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God, the exhalation of God was hovering over the waters. You see this ruach, this breath of God is the, is the creative uh, it's the creative arm of, of what God is doing. And if we read on in Genesis, we find that the Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters then uh, became the agency through which God then not only created light and created matter and, and created everything that was created, but he was indeed the one that gave breath to us as well. The Holy Spirit is a powerful force in the way that God gets things done. So in the Hebrew, it's ruach. It doesn't mean spirit or ghost. It means breath that means a violent exhalation. It means a wind. In the Greek, the word for the spirit or ghost is pneuma. It's also used hugely, 385 times in the New Testament alone. And the definition of this word also is not ghost. It is a breeze, a gentle blast of breath or a wind. Man, tough being a translator. What are we going to call them in the New Testament? The Holy Breeze? And that's never going to work. Yeah, me, I got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Breeze. Like, we've got some problems with that. So, but, but we need to understand that the role of this part of the Godhead. John 6, verse 63, the words that I speak to you, Jesus says, they are spirit, they are pneuma, and they are life. He's saying that, that, that these words that I speak, that the exhalation of my mouth, this thing which is spirit, is totally different from what comes out of your mouth. These words, they have creative force, creative power. There's something in these that, that moves things. You've got to realize that. You see, we read in the book of John that when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to take his place. So this, this person of the Godhead, this breath, this wind, this creative force, is, he is with us to be who Jesus was for us. He is with us to speak life into us. He is to counsel us, to comfort us. He is to convict unbelievers. He is to heal us. He is all of those things for us. So before we look at the things that the Holy Spirit does next week and beyond, we really need to know who he is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go this morning to a conversation that Jesus had with someone who knew all about God and all about the Scriptures but didn't know the Holy Spirit. And we're going to watch what Jesus says and we're going to see how he uses these words let me read this to you, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, now isn't this an interesting admission? We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God was not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit and the pneuma. Unless they are born of the wind, the breath, 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then he gives this fascinating illustration. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And of course, there's a wonderful parallel here that Jesus is is giving Nicodemus, and a wonderful wordplay, because we've got to realize that what Nicodemus is hearing is he's not hearing Jesus saying, the wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, so it's everyone born of the Spirit, because it's the same word in the Greek. So he's hearing Jesus saying, this thing of the wind, and this, it's the same thing. So it is with someone born of the wind, that someone born of the wind, they like the wind, and he, he's simultaneously hearing, so it is with the Spirit, and this is like someone, this is exactly the same that we see in people of the Spirit, and we get this wonderful wordplay that we kind of miss a little bit in the English, but God is making a very powerful illustration here for us, and obviously and for Nicodemus. And, but there's an illustration, a metaphor here, around this idea of wind, which is the one of the core definitions of these words that I think we need to really dig into and find out what Jesus is saying and where this is going. The wind blows where it pleases. The Spirit works where it pleases. You can hear and feel but not see see the wind, and you can hear and feel but not see the Spirit. And people reborn of the Spirit are also led in ways that we cannot see or predict. So let's take a little bit of time, and we're going to dig into this metaphor that Jesus gives to Nicodemus and us, of course, which ties deeply into the names of um, the Holy Spirit. So we're going to begin with this. The first thought is this. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit can't be seen. Now, one of the interesting things about wind is that though you can't see it, you can both feel it and you can see what it does. On a windy day, I can't see the wind, but I can see the trees that are moving because of it. I can feel the cool breeze taking the heat away from my skin. I can see the sailboats racing across Auckland Harbour as the wind pushes their sails and moves them across. The great evangelist Billy Graham used to say this. He says, I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind. See, I've never seen the Holy Spirit, But I've seen the effects of the Holy Spirit. I've seen people broken down in tears of release and healing when the Holy Spirit comforts them. I've seen legs grow. I've seen backs straighten. I've seen wombs begin to function. I've seen disease disappearing as the Holy Spirit moves and brings his healing power to people's bodies and minds. I've also seen people moved. I've seen problems dissolved. I've seen finances provided. I've seen waiting lists emptied, angels protecting, and circumstances turning on a dime in a way that utterly defies logic. And in the same way I felt the cooling breeze of the wind on a hot day, I've also felt the cooling, calming presence of the Holy Spirit. And here in the middle of worship, in my car, as I'm singing, as I'm sitting at the table, getting into the Word in the, uh, early in the morning over my breakfast, In the midst of a difficult moment on a hard day, I've felt his presence and I've known his calming work in my life. The Holy Spirit is unseen, but we can see what he does. The second thought this morning is this, that like the wind, the Holy Spirit can't be controlled. 
And this is actually really important, right? Because if we can control our God, he's no God at all. The way the wind blows is unpredictable. It can shift and change seemingly without reason. Remember the America's Cup and those skippers out there on the boats desperately trying to work out where the next wind shift is coming from. Sailors can't control the wind's direction. Instead, instead they adjust their sails so that they can benefit from the wind's direction. Likewise, you can't control the Holy Spirit, but you can adjust your heart and your mind to benefit from what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if we're honest, sometimes we kind of don't really like that part of God. Like I'm a guy with a pretty high need for certainty in my life, and, and I, you know, I much prefer things nailed down in a box with a job description that we can easily predict. But you know what? God just simply defies that at every point. God doesn't do things the same way. The Holy Spirit doesn't do things always the same way. Jesus didn't do things. Because if he did, he knows that we would end up worshipping the method instead of the person. He knows we would end up worshipping the system and trying to replicate the system rather than the Savior. And isn't that how... you know? So many different groups and factions come along. Someone gets an idea, they have an experience with God, they get a revelation, I think this is what God's been doing, and, and those guys, they do it differently, but that hasn't how God's spoken to me, so this is the way we're going to do it, this is the new rule. And, you know, that's, sometimes that's how denominations get formed, and, and people go off on their own way with these things. And yet, yet it's so important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit cannot be controlled. Yes, there are some things, some truths that are unchanging and rock solid, and our statement of faith is based on, on those things. Jesus, his person and his work, the Trinity, salvation by grace, a number of those things. But it's also important for us to realize that we cannot control or predict the Spirit, but that is actually a wonderful thing. You know, Moses had God speak to him from a burning bush. It happened once. What's the better bet if Moses started a church? It would be the church of the burning bush, and you can't get saved unless you've had a burning bush experience. But he only had one. And actually, if you look at the story, it was nothing to do with the bush. There was a, it was a moment where God was powerfully getting Moses' attention because he had some incredible redirection coming in Moses' life. How about with Jesus? There was that time when, when, uh, when a few people brought this guy to Jesus who was deaf and mute, and they'd seen Jesus lay hands on someone, obviously, and heal him. And so they'd bring him to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, do it again. You know that? Do it again. L let me read it to you. Mark 7.32, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. And what did Jesus do? He did weird stuff. It says this, after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. <laughs> then he spit, got the guy to stick out his tongue, touched his tongue, and boom, he's healed. Now, how many of you have ever been to a conference and the ministry team, come on up here, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to put our fingers in your ears. You will not see that on our ministry team this morning. Like, that one, that, that never caught on, right? Like, of all the things Jesus did, you know, let's, I'm happy with laying on hands, shaka mahunday, let's do that. But really, come forward. I'm going to place my fingers deep into your ears. Then I'm going to spit on the stage. And then I want you to stick your tongue out. And that finger that's just been in your ear, now I'm going to touch your tongue and boom, you're going to be healed. If I did that this morning, you would all be at another church next week. <laughs> 
You know, it's like Jesus is going, you've got to understand, it's not what I do. It's me. And if I have to do this a thousand different ways to you to, for you to get that point, well, I'm going to do it a thousand different ways. Because you cannot worship the system. You've got to worship the Savior. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. The third thought is this. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit is powerful. You know, we've just moved into Mount Wellington, and, and we're kind of near the Pamuel Basin. And right out in front of our, our townhouses there are some massive plane trees. These things can apparently grow up to 50 meters in height, and they've got to be close to that. And um, their trunks are like a meter and a half thick. I did a bit of a search on Google, and Google suggests that they probably weigh between 50 and 80 tons each if they were felled to the ground. I mean, these things are absolutely massive. But you know what? When the wind gets up, howling through there, those trees, man, they move back and forward like a blade of grass in a field. It is unbelievable and noisy. Man, it just roars through that. You know what? I've been and I've leaned against those trees. I cannot move those trees. I cannot move those trees. Isn't that? Uh, and, and you should try. Go, go and try and move one of those trees. And next time there's a decent wind, go out and look at some big trees bowing over in the wind and ask yourself, what incredible force that I cannot see is taking these huge trees and moving them at will. You see, the wind can move things that I can't move. And likewise, the Holy Spirit can move things that I can't move. Let me give you another picture. Your friends of ours... Uh, she's a paramedic, and her husband is a volunteer firefighter and first responder. Um, some of you here know them. Um, they were at a music concert recently in New Plymouth, and uh, when they were, became aware of a commotion uh, a little bit away from them, and they went over, there was a small crowd of people, and they found there was a guy in the middle there who had had a heart attack, fallen down dead, and a friend of theirs who they didn't know at the concert, who was also a paramedic, was working on him, and they jumped in, the three of them, and they worked on this guy for quite a period of time doing chest compressions, breathing into his lungs. And, you know, they both talked about, in that situation and others they've had, that astonishing moment when someone is lying there, for all intents and purposes, they are dead. And you are breathing into their lungs, into their mouth. And then somewhere, all of a sudden, they just take a gasp. <gasps> And they take a breath. And they come back to life. And their heart is back. And they're back. And they're sitting up. And they're, what, what happened? And it's, they, they talk about that moment, the, the power of a breath that can literally bring someone back to life. So to the power of the breath of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to bring someone back to life, someone who for all intents and purposes is dead, they've lost hope, there's no way forward, they're stuck. He can bring them back to life. When the Holy Spirit, His breath comes into us, His Spirit comes into us, and it, it, we find new life, we find new things happening as a result of that. You, know, you see, the promise in Acts chapter 1 is that the Holy Spirit's power is for you. But you will receive power, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God makes His power available for us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this morning, many of you here are going through things that human power cannot fix. Many of us need the power of God to move what we can't move, to bring back to life something that is dying, and it's, oh, it's so important that we do not allow ourselves to remain distanced 
from the person and power of the Holy Spirit just because somewhere someone represented it to us in a way that actually wasn't accurate. The, fifth, the fourth thought this morning is this, like the wind, the Holy Spirit is refreshing. And this is actually really important. Like a cool breeze on a hot day, you know, you get out of a hot stuffy car in, this, in, in Auckland summer, or you go out of a hot building in Auckland summer and you feel that cool breeze. And I bet we've all said it at some point, like, wow, that feels so good. But you know what? If you came into church here one Sunday morning and just goes, wow, that feels so good, people look at you like, well, I don't feel anything. I don't know what you're feeling. And then there'll be others who go, well, you shouldn't be living according to your feelings anyway. No, you shouldn't. Look, and I understand that. I understand that we, we shouldn't be living according to our negative feelings. But you know what? God designed us with feelings. In fact, God designed us. That, that is exactly how we experience life, experience the world that he's placed us in. And that's actually also how we experience God, right? I mean, our feelings are so integral to so much in our lives. We married our significant other because we felt they were the right one. We felt in love. We pursued the career we have and not a different option because we felt that it was the right way forward. We go on holidays to feel refreshed. We judge our days by how we feel we performed. And we roll up our t-shirts and our pants and our undies and we stack them neatly in our drawers because it brings us joy. Thank you, Mary Kondo. <laughs> you see, the Christian life is full of things we feel. Peace, joy, grace, Kindness, pain, love, passion, all things we feel. Is it any surprise then, if this is how God has created us, that he then too wants us to feel refreshed? There are times and moments in this difficult life where actually God wants us to feel lighter, healthier, better. You know, if we read Acts chapter 3 verse 19, the promise that came is this, is that when you are saved and know God, that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Like That's actually the promise of God for you. This is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is that you will, from time to time, have times of refreshing. You will, from time to time, have times that... That, that, that fill your soul and you just feel great again and you get reset and you experience something of God and it's just like, oh, and you're so grateful and you catch a different perspective and you are refreshed. That is the normal Christian life. I hope we're beginning to catch a glimpse of some aspects of the nature of this Holy Spirit this morning. This third person of the, Trini third person of the Trinity who is described to us as a breeze, a breath, a wind. He may be unseen, but we can see what he does. He may be uncontrollable, but a God that we can control is no God at all. He may be powerful, but his power is for us. And he is the God who wants our souls to be refreshed. The Holy Ghost is not unbiblical. He is not outdated. He is not spooky. He is not weird. And everything he is and has is for your benefit. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. Now, there's a powerful blessing in, in 2 Corinthians 3.14. I'd like to read it to you in the message version. It says this. The amazing grace of the Master, Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. You know, recently we had some friends come around for dinner. 
They arrive like a breath of fresh air. They come in, hugs and kisses. Uh, we, we, we have a big catch-up and we, we laughed. Man, we had, some, we had some great times. We talked about life. We talked about our kids. We talked about our problems. We talked about the goodness of God and his provision. We ate some fantastic food. And then they breezed out. And you know what? Man, I tell you what, it was like we were reset. You know, nothing resets you. Nothing refreshes you like the power of an intimate friendship. You know, when you've been with a good friend, you're just, you're just more ready to take on the world, aren't you? You see, like the wind, the Holy Spirit is the one who refreshes us, resets us. And we are designed to have actually a friendship with Him. When we are in that place, we're better able to take on the world. The Ruach of God, the Numa of God, the Holy Spirit of God, He loves you. He is for you. He came precisely to be with you, to fill you, and to help you. Let me give you one final illustration. Do you know what a pneumatic tire is? A pneumatic tire, it's a tire filled with air, right? Like car tires, bike tires, most truck tires are, are pneumatic. And yes, the first part of that word pneuma is exactly the same as the pneuma that we read in the New Testament. It's to do with air. And when a tire, a pneumatic tire, when it's filled up with air, it becomes strong. It's got pneuma in it, the air that fills it. And what it means is it's able to flow over the bumps and holes in the road better. It keeps its shape. It is strong and it carries a load. Can I say, when you receive the pneuma of God into your life, it fills you with the Spirit so that you're able to flow over the bumps and holes in life's road. It keeps your shape. It makes you strong and it helps you carry a load. And what happens when the air in your tires gets a little low? Well, you swing by the service station and you fill it up again. That's what we do every Sunday. You know, if your pneuma's getting a little low, if your sense of the presence of God is getting a little low, and we come here, we worship God, and as we sing and worship, the Spirit fills us again. Church is our spiritual filling station. Spirit is our spiritual you may not see him, but you will see what he does. You may not be able to control him, but he will help you control you. He is powerful and he offers that power to you. And he will refresh you and keep you able to flow over the challenges of life as you serve God and fulfill your purpose. You know, for some of us today, I believe it's mission critical for your marriage for your jobs, with your kids, health, your emotions, your relationship with God, that you get some fresh power. You get a fresh wind in your sails. You get some fresh pneuma on the inside of you. And this is the question. Will you receive the Holy Spirit today? Will you invite Him in your world? Will you invite Him in your heart, in your mind, in your home? Will you invite Him into your trust Him not just with your salvation? Will you trust Him not just to make you feel better, but will you also trust Him with your decisions, your career, your ministry? Let's close your eyes and pray this morning. Holy Spirit, I just 
thank you for your refreshing presence here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for who you are available to us. I pray for every one of us here, God, whether we already have a relationship with you or not, that we will receive you afresh this morning. We'll open our hearts again to you this morning, that we will lay aside old disappointments, but God, that we will come again wholeheartedly 